Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Amen. How are you doing? Awesome. Was that just an incredible time of worship, just the presence of the Lord? It's just awesome gathering with the church of Jesus Christ. So I, I just want to embarrass a couple of people that thought they could sneak in undetected. Ruben and Don Garcia, what a pleasure to have you guys here today. See your daughters with you. Uh, Ruben was uh, a strong member of our Clio Ministry Association, and you got to know him really well. So it's a privilege you guys that are joining with us today. And uh, so now I have to really do a good job because I know uh, from one pastor to another. Um, today we're starting a new series called Identity Crisis, and I think it's no surprise that our world is in crisis. Would you agree? I mean, just, just think about the many things happening right now, COVID-19, right? We thought we were almost done with this, but it decided to spawn some furry little friends along with it. Now we have all these different strands, like the Delta variant and all this other stuff going on. And, uh, and so it seems to be lingering. We have the mess in Afghanistan that is just dominating all of television right now, the news and media and all the, the crazy things happening there. Not to mention with Afghanistan, but now Russia, China, and uh, Iran are teaming up together. So our three like biggest enemies are now coming together to form an alliance, kind of is red reticent of World War II. If you think of some of the things that happened leading up to that great conflict, we have economic turmoil, still many people on unemployment, businesses can't find help because nobody wants to work, and people that like want to work or are, are, are getting paid, this unemployment, you know, don't know how they're, they're going to make that transition. We have churches burning in Canada that are being burnt down, fires burning in California, the worst in many years and across many countries, food shortages, refugees, displacements, immigration, um, which in many parts of the world is also leading to child marriages and human trafficking. These are all existential threats happening right now in the world. A little closer to home in America, things we're dealing with right now, we're facing crisis related more to the social fabric of our nation, not just the global conflicts, but we're dealing with a lot of confusion that we seem to be facing in this day and age. We have political confusion. Depending on the election, we don't know what we are. We're either Democrats or we're Republicans. We, we don't know. There's this battle between who, who's going to lead our nation and how are they going to lead. We have legal confusion. We don't know if we need to defund the police or hire more police officers. We, we don't know. We have racial confusion, right? It, it, like at the scientific level, there's absolutely no difference between the races. There's, there's no such thing as race from a biological standpoint. But yet we've got CRT trying to convince certain people they're oppressed and certain people they're oppressors. We, we have uh, like this, this question now with, with the fact that um, Martin Luther King's vision has come to fruition in many ways where race hasn't become an issue. We have many mixed marriages, and now the children of those mixed marriages don't know what they are. They don't know if they're black or white. Michael Jackson would be really happy. Right? They don't know. Like what, what was Barack Obama? He had a, what, a black father and a white mama. Is he black or is he white? We don't know. He claimed he was black, okay, but then there were accusations that he wasn't black enough. And we, we have this racial confusion in our nation. We have sexual confusion with the sexualization of our culture. We have LGBT issues on the rise, gender confusion, gender dysphoria seems to be on the rise, a true crisis of both biological and psychological issues. We have medical confusion, you know, it wasn't that long ago people were screaming, it's her body, so it's her choice. Government can't tell a woman what to do with her body unless it has to do with a COVID-19 vaccine, and then they find plenty of reasons why they can tell a woman what to do with her body. It's confusion. We have this, like, if just the whole COVID-19 thing's been a mess. I don't know if you have been following it. I'm sure you have. We were told you have to wear masks, you have to lock down until we get to a certain point. We get there, and then no, it's, we extend the goalpost. 
And then if we get it 70% vaccinated, then we can take our masks off. We get there, and that's not enough. We just don't know. We have no idea what we're doing. There's moral confusion. We turn the police into bad guys and thugs into heroes. Where we're celebrating those burning down cities, and we call that a peaceful protest, but we make those that were peacefully protesting on January 6th at the Capitol into examples. There's moral confusion. There's patriotic confusion. We're tearing down monuments at a rapid rate, changing the fabric of our country from Judeo-Christian values to everybody doing what is right in their own eyes. A free nation run by the people for the people to a fascist nation dominated by power-hungry politicians. Social media has turned everyone against each other. Friends against friends, neighbors against neighbors, lines and sides are being drawn. And in this culture, you have to decide which side you're going to be on. And depending on which one you choose, determines where the hate's going to come from and how much you're going to get. It was this last election, we had friends that posted on Facebook, if you're going to vote for Donald Trump, unfriend me now. Well, I'm glad our friendship was so strong. But this is something that we've been told about for thousands of years. In 2 Timothy 3, 3-4, this was what Paul tells Timothy. This is a prophecy of what culture is going to be like worldwide in the last days, leading up to the time Christ is going to return. He says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. People will love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful, proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They'll consider nothing sacred. They'll be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others. They'll have no self-control. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. They'll betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. This is like reading yesterday's headline in our world. Or watching yesterday's newscast on your favorite news network. Beloved, I believe we have entered the last days. I really do. And I was having a conversation yesterday at, at our boys' football scrimmage with, with a, a friend of mine and who goes to another church in another city. And we were just talking about the, just the time that we're in. If, if you don't see this, if you don't see the day that we're living in, you're blind. In the book of Revelation, we, we talk about this, and many movies have been made. As a matter of fact, there are a bunch of old-time gospel tracts. You guys remember the old gospel tracts people used to get and pass out that had, like, all the death and destruction in cartoon form, like trying to scare people into heaven, like, here, be afraid, come to Jesus, you know, and uh, they're, they're really funny. But most of them, the one I remember the most is the one that had the guy with the 666 tattooed on his forehead, and it's like, oh, a great way to tell people about Jesus, right? But the Bible tells us about what the last days are going to be like, things that are going to happen. And the book of Revelation talks about the mark of the beast. And in this time, when this antichrist figure, when the one world power comes into, into global domination, and he institutes this, this mark, it says that if you do not take the mark, which shows your allegiance to the antichrist and his world system, you will not be able to buy or sell anything. You'll, you'll, you'll not be able to do anything. You won't be able to participate in the, the economy at all. And if you look at what's happening right now with the COVID-19 pandemic and how nations across the world are coming out with vaccine passports, and some, if you read the headlines, say, if you don't have proof, you can't shop in my store. You can't travel. You can't go on an airplane. There is a movement now, and it, 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 I'm not saying the vaccines are the mark of the beast. Hear me on this. I'm saying the mindset is being created in the world. The desensitization is happening right now to condition the population for when this time does come. When the government tells you, unless you do this, you can't survive. You can't participate. That's the very thing that the one who is literally indwelled by our great enemy is going to use to control the whole world and bring his attack and his power against the church, against believers everywhere. It's happening right now. And, and I was talking to him, and I said, like the, it's like before our eyes. And if you think about what's happening in Afghanistan right now, how they're going door to door looking for the Bible app on cell phones. And if you have the Bible app on your cell phone, they take you outside and they kill you. 
How many people in this nation who call themselves a Christian would still be a Christian when they come knocking on their door? How many? Would your faith survive? I, I was talking with my wife and we prayed just the other day. It's like, oh God, help me be steadfast enough to say yes in the face of that type of an environment. We are in the last days. Is it the last day of the last days? I don't think so, but we are heading in that direction. And just looking at what's going on in the world, what's going on in our nation, we could say that our nation is going through an identity crisis. We don't know who we are anymore. We used to know. We used to know. But we don't know anymore. We don't know what to stand for. And now the loudest voice in our nation, the loudest group or the loudest tribe seems to win the day. They get to seem to have their way. According to the APA.org, the American Psychologist Association website, in, involving the concept of identity, if we're thinking about what is identity or what does it mean, identity involves the experiences, relationships, beliefs, values, and memories that make up a person's subjective sense of self, how they view themselves. This helps create continuous self-image that remains fairly constant even as new aspects of self are developed or strengthened over time. So basically all your thoughts, all your experiences, the things that, that you deal with in life come together to help you develop your identity, what you think about yourself, how you view yourself to be. An identity crisis, on the other hand, is the developmental or a developmental event that involves a person questioning their sense or self or place in the world. So you have an understanding of who you are, but something happens to shake that understanding. That's an identity crisis. And it's important to understand about how your identity affects your overall life and what you believe about yourself and the powerful effect it has on you according to ncbi.nlm.nih.gov. Say that 10 times fast. Here's what it says about identity. Your beliefs originate from what you hear, from what you keep on hearing from others, ever since you were children and even, even before that. Sources of beliefs include your environment, events, knowledge, past experiences, visualization, etc. One of the biggest misconceptions people often harbor is that belief is static, that, that it's continual. It's not. Intellectual, it's not just an intellectual concept. Nothing can be farther from the truth. Beliefs are a choice. So you choose what you believe. And we have the power to choose our beliefs. And here's what they say. They say our beliefs become your reality. So what you choose to believe or believe in becomes your reality, how you see, how you perceive the world, which comes to inform ultimately your identity and how you see yourself. What we believe becomes our reality. So if we believe as a nation, as the United States of America, uh, what we believe as a nation begins to manifest in how we act, how we operate, how we vote, what we accept, and what we don't accept. And if you think about the founding of this nation, we believe, and I remember even having these lessons in school, we were taught that America was a melting pot. That all these immigrants came from all over everywhere to form a brand new nation. That, that we all came together and it was the, the, the creativity and the, the skills and the experience of everyone coming together under one nation, under God, singularly focused to build something new. That that's what America was and what it stood for. Today, it's not a melting pot. It's not everyone leaving where they were to form something new. Now it's a mosaic where everyone wants to remain as individual as possible and have everyone else recognize their individuality. So rather than fighting together, we're fighting one another. It's a crisis of identity. We don't know who we are as a nation anymore, hence all the confusion. And not only has this crisis of identity, not knowing who you are, affected our nation and the crisis, the confusion is affecting our world, the same as happening in the church of Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, after he lists all of these things that are going to be commonplace in culture in the last days, here's what he says. He says, and they will act what? They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. 
Stay away from people like that. Okay, that must be pretty important to understand then, right? If we're to avoid these kinds of people, we need to know what he's saying. He says they will act religious. What does this word religious mean? It means having a form of devotion. Having a form of devotion. It means there were a bunch of church people when he's writing this, or will be, a bunch of church people getting caught up in the confusion. And because they're getting caught up in the confusion, what's happening? They're cutting themselves off from the power that God wants to pour into and out of their lives. The power that actually can truly change culture. So the reason why I believe Paul would say they act religious and deny the power that can make them holy is because the believers here he's referring to don't know who they are. And since they don't know who they are, they squabble about words rather than toiling over the word. They end up chasing culture rather than chasing the Holy Spirit and rising up to change culture. We're caught up. So if beliefs inform us of our reality, then, beloved, you will become who you believe yourself to be. You will become who you believe yourself to be. Your beliefs will become your reality. If you believe you're a victim, you'll always be a victim. If you believe you're not good enough, you'll always feel and act like you're not good enough. If you're a girl who believes they're a boy, you're going to live and act like a Boy, and vice versa, if you believe you're not strong, you're going to act weak and find every excuse as to why you shouldn't try if, or why you can't. If you believe you're ugly, you'll never see the beauty you possess. You won't see it. Why? Because your beliefs inform your reality. So if we look at the church in general, people who confess Christ, call on the name of Jesus, what do we see in our world today? What do we see in our culture? What do we see in our city? What do we see in our church? Beloved, what I see in many places around the nation is I see more people trying to fit in than stand out. And I see weakness more than power. I see people trying to fit in, not stand out. And I see more weakness than power. In 1 Corinthians 4.20, Paul said something also really significant. He says, the kingdom of God, which is what you enter when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The kingdom of God is not a lot of talk, but it's living by what? God's power. It's not just coming to church and talking about it. It's going out and demonstrating it. It's living by the power of God. So if we are in the kingdom, and the kingdom is among us, and like Jesus said, we're supposed to be living in and through the power of God, the power that can make us holy, set apart for the Lord, why do we see more talk in the church than power? Why do we see more discussion at small group? Oh, wasn't that a nice study? Oh, man, I really like that author. Oh, that really stuck out to me. And, and we have all this discussion about what God's word says. And why don't we see as much of the living it outside? I believe it's because many in the church, myself included, are wrestling with the concept we're talking about today. We are having a crisis of identity. We really believe deep down lies about who we are. There are deep-rooted beliefs about who we are that are not true according to the Word of God. So rather than spiritual sons and daughters of the Most High God, we feel like spiritual orphans. We have an orphan mentality. And many of us don't even know what it means to be a son or daughter of God. We don't even know. If I were to ask some, what does it mean to be a child of God? You might just say, it just means I have a seat saved for me at church. But that's not it. And for many of us, we live every day with an identity crisis because our experienced reality doesn't match our beliefs. And since our beliefs aren't matching up with what we experience, we pursue other avenues to try to help us make sense of what we experience, to discover what is true, what we should believe, 
And what we're really looking for is the answer to the question, who am I? Who am I? We're searching for identity. So what do we do? We continue in our religion out of duty, but our faith, what we believe, what we believe that determines our reality is really found out in the world. So what do we have? We have a form of devotion, a form of godliness, a measure of devotion, but we're lacking the power that really can make us holy and the freedom for what we believe is supposed to be experiencing. In John 8, 31 through 32, Jesus said to his disciples, he said to the people who believed in him, somebody say believed. Jesus said this to those who believe. He says, you are truly, somebody say truly. So can you be a disciple and not be truly a disciple? Yes. If you believe and you want to truly be my disciple, here's what you're going to do. He says, you will remain faithful. Somebody say, remain faithful. You remain faithful to my teachings. You will keep believing and walking out your belief. You'll keep believing and obeying. And then what does he say? Verse 32, he says, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you believe and you remain faithful, you will know the truth, and it will set you free. Set you free from what? All the lies that you've been believing about who you are and what your purpose is and what your reason is for existing. It'll change how you see yourself and see the world. The core reason why we struggle with this identity, I believe the Lord showed me this week as I was wrestling over this this content and this series, I believe it's because the reality and belief systems we have lived with for so long. We're born into a broken world, dominated by the enemy, ingrained in us from a young age, or a certain way to see and think. Our school systems are trying to educate us in a way that uh, really robs us of a, of a faith that's life-giving and powerful. And so there's so many things we're bombarded with from a young age. We've grown up with these certain belief systems, and the gospel of Jesus Christ conflicts with every one of those. The gospel of Jesus, the truth of God's word, and because we're introduced to the gospel secondary, we don't, we're not born into this world as Christians believing the gospel. It comes later in life after we've been indoctrinated to uh, some degree. It's hard to shift our focus away from what we first believed into what now we are accepting through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And the gospel of Christ, our newfound faith, comes with a completely different set uh, a belief system, a completely different set of values and truths. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul tells the church at Corinth, he says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Somebody say a new person. You've become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. You're not the same. You're not the same. You're not still the same person you've always been. In Ephesians 2, 2 through 7, Paul tells the church of Ephesus, he says, you used to live in sin, not anymore, praise God, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander and powers of the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, loved us so much, That even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Can I get an amen? Amen. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of his incredible wealth, of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he's done for us who are united in Christ. Christ Jesus. So if you've repented of your sins and turned to God through placing your faith and trust in Christ to be your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit of God has come down and has made his home in your heart. You are not what you once were. You are you plus God. And that makes you altogether new. You're not a sinner. You're saved. You're not condemned. You're cleansed. You're not what you once were. You're altogether new. You are a brand new creation. But here's the dilemma. So I'm new, right, Pastor Joey? I'm, I'm all new. 
I'm something completely new, then why do I feel mostly the same? Anybody tracking with me? If I'm altogether new, why do I feel mostly the same? I might think a little differently. My desires might be changing a little by little according to God's word, but there's still so much of me that acts and feels like the same person I used to be. So how can I be altogether new and still be the same? It's called an identity crisis. It's an identity crisis. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord, and the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more. Somebody say more and more. That means you're not there. More and more he's making you like him as we are changed, not have been changed, but are changed into his glorious image. So when God intersects your life, it begins the transformation process. You begin to change. So the challenge is when we're saved and born again, we're not instantly transformed. We enter this process to become more and more like Jesus. It's like a spiritual state of schizophrenia. One minute, I'm like Jesus. The next minute, I'm like the devil. And I don't know which one I am sometimes. Where my old self and my flesh is at war for domination with my new self and the spirit. And this crisis of identity affects my reality. The decision that we have to make every day. We have to wake up as followers of Christ with this decision every day. And here's the decision. What identity am I going to let lead me today? What identity? What am I going to live out of today? Because the belief in who I am will ultimately affect how I see and experience the world around me, what I think about different issues, what I prioritize, what I invest in, and what I find important. The identity I'm living out of will inform me of how I'm going to live and think. And since many of us still feel like orphans, unworthy, castaway, unacceptable, dirty, insignificant, incapable, condemned, guilty, broken, useless, worthless, that belief stifles our faith and the ability of the Spirit of God to reveal His power in our lives. So what do we need? We need an intervention. The church needs an intervention, an identity intervention. You see, it's the Spirit of God that makes you more and more like Jesus. It's the Spirit of God is the one who uses you to release the power of God into the world. And the Bible says we can quench the Spirit's power. And how do we do it? By grieving the Spirit. We quench His power by grieving it. And how do we grieve Him? We live like an orphan and not a son or daughter of the King. I think it's encouraging to know the Spirit wants to use us in powerful ways. Doesn't that encourage you? That God Himself, God in you, wants to use you. He wants people to see His glory through your life. He wants that. What a privilege. I think it's also encouraging to know He's excited to release His power through us. I think oftentimes we feel like we got to find some way to convince God to use us. No, God's excited. God, God's ecstatic. He's like, oh, here's another one. Okay, let's do this. God's excited. It's not just for the super spiritual. It's for all of us in the kingdom, but we need to know who we are so we can start living like sons and daughters of God. In this series, we're going to look at some scriptures to help us believe in who we are in Jesus Christ. We're going to put off the old man and find ways to put on the new man, a new identity, and begin like living like Jesus in the world. This world needs now more than ever. I believe this with my whole heart. This world needs now more than ever a church lit on fire. We need it. The world needs it. It's tired of believers sitting in pews and then going about their business. We need a church lit on fire. A church filled with the Holy Spirit, believing in our identity as children of God, working through the Spirit, and not to deny the power that can make us godly, that can make us just like Jesus. So I want you today, as the best as you can, to really think about the verses we're about to read. Don't check out. Think about them. 
meditate on them. Make it personal. It's so easy when we read a verse, be like, oh, that sounds cool. Yeah, I did. that's good. That, that had a big word in it I didn't know before. Okay. But can you get vulnerable enough to let the word of God touch your heart today? Can you? We need you to. God needs you to. God needs you to quit tuning him out because he has something for you today. He has something for you. There are three realms of identity we're going to look at through this series. One, so that we're accepted. Two, we're secure. And three, we're significant. We're going to look at this through the series. Today, we're going to begin looking at the first realm, I believe, of what it means to be a child of God. We're going to discover and process through this today. It's the reality that we are accepted. We're accepted. If you're a believer here today, somebody say, I'm accepted. And again, 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 I'm accepted. Studies show that when you say something seven times, it begins to sink in. You are accepted. We're going to look at two scriptures, Ephesians 1.5 and John 1.12. They'll be on the screen and also be in the YouVersion Bible app. We're going to begin with Ephesians 1.5, and I'm going to read this slowly. I want you to let this hit your heart. Ephesians 1.5, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. God decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. There's a parable Jesus tells in the New Testament, it's called the parable of the lost son. And this is the story of the lost son. They went to his father one day and says, Dad, you're as good as dead to me. Give me the money. I'm going to get in the inheritance and see you. Bye, Felicia. And he leaves. And he goes out into the city, spends all of his money on partying and living it up, figures out that the friends he had were only around when he had money. When it was gone, so were they. And he was in a pit with some pigs trying to feed them and he comes to his senses he comes to his senses and he says you know what my father's house has plenty of food if I would just go back to my father's house then I could just be a servant and I would have plenty of food to eat if we think about this story with there are many applications The story of the world follows the Israelites who were chosen by God to be the people of God. They were his family, but over the course of time, what did they do? They rejected him. God, we're not interested. Bye, Felicia. To the Lord. And so since the Israelites didn't want God as a father, he sent Jesus to open the invitation to the rest of the world that any who will come can come and be a part of his family. If you think about this for a moment, personalize it. If you're a parent here today, you can relate with this. But if you're not, just imagine if you were a parent and you had one child and that child was like your pride and joy and you just want to do everything you could. So you made sacrifices to bless them and to even spoil them a little. We're guilty of that. You know, they they don't necessarily need the extra donut, but you know, like, why not? You know, it's Friday. Same story tomorrow, right? But you sacrifice, you spoil them, but they come to the age where they say, you know what, I don't love you, I never loved you, and I want you to get out. Wait a minute, no, this is my house. Oh, no, you don't understand. It's my house now. And they not only reject you, but they kick you out so you can't stay there. That's what happened to God. Israel's idolatry drove him out of his own land. But then, all of a sudden, in the midst of your rejection, as you're walking down the road, you see a child stranded in the field, all alone, 
no one miles around in desperate need of help, and you think to yourself, man, this kid needs me. If my own kid doesn't want me, then maybe I'll pour my love on this child since I have more love to give. I'll adopt them as my own, and not, not by force, but only if they decide they want me in return. You know, when I, before I was born, my parents had a baby girl. Her name was Meredith, and she died very young from um, birth complications. She didn't even see her first birthday. And the doctors told my parents that they probably wouldn't be able to have children. And this was a gut punch to them as it would anyone else. And so they decided to adopt. So two years later, they went to an agency, went through the whole process, and they saw and fell in love with my brother Austin. And they picked him up, they took him home, and he didn't really have any choice in the matter because he was only a week old. And uh, he didn't really have the ability to put up a protest. And it was really the best thing for him. He desperately needed a family. He left a place of rejection and entered a loving place of acceptance. And my wife and I have never adopted, but we came close one time when we hosted a foreign exchange student. I remember when Natalia first came to live with us, she was from Slovakia. She first was uh, placed in different homes, and each one that she was in was just a terrible situation. She got to the place where she's like, America is terrible. I want to go home. I just don't want to stay here. And so the one that was in charge of placing her came to us because she was a member of our church that we were attending at the time, and she said, would you consider hosting her, and, and we already felt like maybe God was leading us to do that, but we drug our feet and missed our opportunity. So now it was coming back around, so we're like, this must be God. And so we were excited to bring Natalia home, but I knew, I'd heard some of the stuff that she had gone through. My wife and I were talking, we're like, we need to invite her to come, but we want her to want to be here. We, wa- we want her to want to be here. And so I met with her and the director in my office, and uh, we're talking and hearing the story, and I said, you know, we would love for you to come and stay. We've got a place for you, but I want you to come to our house and see if it's a place you would even want to stay, and you decide if it's what you want. So she came, and, and like immediately she's like, yes, yes, I want to come. And we were so humbled by that because we're like, who are we that, you know, she want to stay with us? And she later, you know, told us that she thought she was dreaming. If you know my wife, she keeps a very clean house. And uh, so I think based on the previous environments, she was so pleased to be in a place where she felt sanitary, you know, so um, that, that at least we had that going for us. But we felt so honored and overjoyed that she would want to come and stay with us. But just as excited she was to be adopted by us for a time, we were excited to be able to adopt her. We were excited. We were overjoyed. And this is the significance of being adopted into God's family. He handpicked us. He chose us. He chose you. You and you and you. God chose you. Like my brother, you were handpicked by God to come out of a place of rejection and into a place of loving acceptance. But also like Natalia, he didn't force it on you. He invited you into the opportunity and let you make the choice. In John 1.12, it says, But all who believed him and, what, accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. Another translation says he gave the power to become the sons of God. So he adopted you, yes, but only after you accepted his offer. And it gave God great delight. You know, Natalia could have said no. And if she had said no, she would have gone home to Slovakia and we would have never had the opportunity to get to know her, love her, and even now love her new family. She's now married uh, to a a guy named Pavel who we love to death. And uh, we hope to see them again really soon. We would have never had those opportunities if she had said no. You see, God was waiting in anticipation for your yes, just as we were waiting in anticipation for Natalia's yes. God was excited. He was eager. And just as we now have many memories with Natalia, God has many memories with you. He has many memories. God didn't do you any favors. He didn't just give in to incessant begging, like, oh, this one... 
I got to get them to shut up, so I guess I'll let them come stay at my house. You know, they keep going from couch to couch. No, God, God didn't do you any favors. He didn't just give in and let you tag along or begrudgingly give you a shot. The Word of God says it gave him great pleasure to adopt you into his family. You filled his heart with joy when you said yes to his offer to become part of his family. Beloved, God does not regret the day he adopted you. God does not regret the day he adopted you. He is over the moon for you. He cherishes the day he adopted you. He has recorded everything in his book, the Bible tells us. He not only catches every tear that you cry in your bottle, he records everything in his book. A couple years ago, my mom brought me, it was a birthday or something, she got me a scrapbook of my life. And here I am, like almost 40 years old, and I'm getting a scrapbook of my life. And, and I'm like, well, this is a unique gift. Because normally you scrapbook all along, you know, when someone is little and, and then about the time they get out of high school, they start being so cute and you kind of fade off. But this was my whole life. It was from when I was young all the way to marriage and, and she just put it together for me. And, and as I'm studying this message, I, I just think, think about the significance. Here my mom has a 40-year-old son and she's making me a scrapbook. Why? It's because she's proud of me. And she's highlighted all these snapshots that were important in my life. But she only had so many pictures. God has every second of every day, every breath, every word, every moment of your life recorded in his book. And when he flips through the pages, you put a smile on his face every time. You're accepted. You're beloved you're cherished. Why? Because not only did you, he choose you, but you chose him back. You chose him back. You belong to Jesus. Yahweh God is your father, and you are his child. If you have accepted Christ as your savior, I want you to say this aloud with me. I am a child of God. He chose me and I'm accepted. I am a child of God. He chose me, and I'm accepted. Like you believe it, I'm a child of God. He chose me, and I'm accepted. I'm a child of God. He chose me, and I'm accepted. I'm a child of God. He chose me, and I'm accepted. I'm a child of God. He chose me, and I'm accepted, beloved. You're a child of God. He chose you, and you're accepted. You're accepted. You're accepted. You're accepted. The truth of the parable of the lost son, though he was in the pit with the pigs for a long time, longing for home, he thought he could earn his place back. You know what he found when he got home? A robe and a ring. You don't owe God a thing. That debt's been paid. He's covered it. Beloved, when you said yes, God threw you a party. And many of us are still trying to work off this debt to God, living under guilt and shame because deep down we still feel like orphans. God couldn't really love me. He couldn't really like me if he put a spotlight on my life and my past and all my mistakes. But God wants you to capture this revelation. You're not an orphan. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're a child of God. He chose you, and you're accepted. In a world full of crisis and confusion where we don't know our left hand from our right, there's a mistaken identity everywhere, we can begin bringing order out of the chaos, peace to the crisis by waking up to the truth. We are children of the king, chosen and accepted, not orphans, but sons and daughters. I want you to meditate on Ephesians 1, 5 this week, every day, word by word. Meditate on it. Repeat it aloud over and again. Think about it. Discuss it. Pray through it. And I want you to know the Lord is crazy about you. 
thank God for adopting you into his family, choosing to love you. And think about what it means that God rejoiced over you when you said yes. I want to close with this. As a parent, we spend so much time carting kids around. This weekend, we had sports and sports season. It's a madhouse. But when kids are little, they have to be with you everywhere you go. They like cling to the leg and you kind of drag them across the floor, right? Those moments are beautiful. We cherish those moments when they have to go with us. But, you know, the season comes where the tide changes and they get old enough to where they don't have to be with you anymore. They can kind of be self-sufficient. They can be left home alone. And when that happens, they kind of don't want to be with you anymore. They've got their friends that they want to hang out with. Hey, you want to go hang out? No, I'm doing this. Okay, well, let's put something on the calendar and then come that date. Oh, but this came up. I'd rather, okay. You know. And so you go through the season where you're not really the number one in their life. But then the winds change again, and then something shifts, and they recognize they do want that connection. They do want mom time and dad time, and it comes back around where they want to connect again. where they want to spend time with you. And I can't imagine the joy in God's heart when his kids, and not just the brand new baby Christians, but the ones who've been around for a while, who maybe have kind of entered a season where they stop spending so much time with God and just let life pass on by. I can imagine the joy in God's heart when his kid comes to him and says, Hey, Daddy. I want to spend some time with you. Let's go do stuff. I need some daddy time. I want to go to work with you. I want to shadow you. I want to see what you do because I want to follow in your footsteps. The, the word of God said in Psalms that if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. You see, you can have all the Jesus you want. You can have as much daddy time as you want. He's always there. He's never going to leave you or forsake you. You can be filled with his spirit. You can walk in his power. But the question is, is which identity has been dominating you? Your old self or your new self? Have you been living like a spiritual orphan or a child of the king? Let's bow our heads for prayer in this moment as we just meditate on the Word of God. Maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There's never been a time in your life where you authentically and truly said yes to Jesus. You maybe said yes to a church membership role. You maybe said yes to a volunteer slot or a position. You may have said yes to a lot of things, but really, if you think about your life, you've never really said yes to Jesus. Right now, in the quietness of this moment, you can give him your yes. You can be adopted right now into his family by choosing to reject your old life and embrace the new life in Christ. The Bible says we do that by confessing him as Lord and believing in our hearts God's raised him from the dead. It's through our verbal confession that we activate the faith that is happening in our heart. And so right now, I just encourage you to pray this aloud with me. If you've never accepted Jesus and you feel that tugging in your heart, you're like, I want to be in God's family. I want to be adopted. I want to know that I'm accepted by God, that, that his love and his, his joy is just showering over me. Right now in this moment, you can pray and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I would just encourage you to pray this simple prayer with me. You can just repeat these words from your heart to the Lord. If it's genuine, it's going to make all the difference in the world. Just say, Father, thank you for sending Jesus to pay for my sins. I trust in his sacrifice. And today, I give him my life. He gave his life for me. I'm giving my life to him. Here's my heart. It's yours. In Jesus' name. 
with every head bowed, every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. If you if you prayed that prayer today, if that was the first time you gave God your yes, I just want to pray a blessing over you. I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you, but if you just slip your hand up and say, Pastor Joey, I prayed, I received Jesus, I prayed and asked God into my heart to be adopted into his family. I just want to bless you today. Anyone like that here today? Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Just slip your hand up. I want to pray for you. Lord God, I just thank you for the one that raised their hand. God, I thank you that you're throwing a party right now. I can just hear it. The hosts of heaven and the angelic choirs are singing and praising. The trumpets are sounding, God, and it's because you've adopted another one. There's another one coming home in Jesus' name. I just I just hear it. I see it. God, you're, you're preparing the robe and the ring and the fatted calf. God, I just thank you, God, that, that this choice was made. I thank you. I just pray you'd fill him with your spirit. God, anoint him with power. Fill him with your love. And right now, the truth that he is no longer an orphan, but a son and a daughter of God, Lord, would just fill their heart right now in Jesus' name. And we just are so thankful to be a part of their journey and their story. For the next few moments, we're going to open our altar for a time of response. If you are a child of God, you're a believer, but you've been living like an orphan, we want to encourage you to come forward. Our prayer team will be down front. There'll be someone to pray with you. If you would like someone to pray with you, that the truth would sink deep today, that you are accepted, that you're a child of the King, to begin breaking off some of the stuff that, that has been holding you back from being who God has created you to be, I invite you to come forward and pray. If you want to kneel down at the altar and pray um, alone, you're welcome to do that. And if you have stuff going on in your life, you need prayer for healing, or, or anything at all, as soon as the music begins to, my wife begins to sing, I encourage you to come and respond to what God is doing in your heart and in your life today. Lord God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for this message and this great reminder. May these words sink deep into our heart. You chose us, and you delight in us as your children. I am accepted because I am your son. We are your children. And God, I pray that today there'd be a shift in our hearts that begins to turn us away from the old and to embrace the new, that your spirit would be poured out, that we wouldn't be those that have a form of devotion, but we'd be truly devoted. They wouldn't just have a form of godliness, God, but the power of God would reign in us. We just thank you in Jesus' name. From all of us at Vertical Life Church, we want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you and God bless.